and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have such a Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for one who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took, a form, uh, took, took the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, he is highly exalted. Thank you for the one who's seated at the table, who's washed the disciples' feet, and just as we've so encouragingly heard, is on his way to Calvary to purchase our redemption. But Father, we need uh, the sober warnings of Scripture to be sober to us. It's a frivolous age that we live in, and so we want to take seriously what your word takes seriously. And so this is a very serious matter. There was one who had the appearance of being a disciple who was not a disciple. And God, I pray particularly that this warning would ring true for anyone that's here tonight that may really need to hear it and that you'd give us clarity on what a disciple really is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got a, a really uh, straightforward aim for our time, and it's uh, going to connect verse 22. The disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke, and we're going to go down to verse 35 where Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what we want to do is just chart through these verses where we'll begin with uncertain disciples and we'll end with how you can be certain you're a disciple. At least that's what we're going to attempt to, to do. Um, I've been thinking about Judas, and I tell you, it's not a lot of fun to think about Judas. He's here at the table and make the most obvious observation that we can make about Judas, and it's this, but, but even though it's one you've all heard, I'm sure, before, I want you to really think about this. The disciples, when they were told one of them was going to betray Jesus, there weren't 11 people who just, like, looked over at Judas and were like, well, it's obviously him. You know, some of the um, paintings from the old school uh, that, that portray Judas, he always has a certain look about him, right? But that's really not accurate. For the three years that he's with Jesus, particularly those 18 months of intense ministry, there isn't something that happens that makes it evident that he is not the real thing. And Jesus is betrayed by Judas, but Jesus is not fooled by Judas. It's really important that we see that from the Scripture. It's not like uh, Jesus is caught unaware by the condition of Judas's soul. I've shared this with our, our church family, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we went on a father-son retreat, and uh, we're in the mountains of Tennessee, and the uh, big activity of the Saturday afternoon is going to play paintball, right? 
And so I'm with my son, and this is kind of how dads are. I really wanted to win. I'll just be honest. I wanted to win paintball so my son could be proud of me. I mean, this is how pathetic I am as a human being. This is my measure of uh, worth in the world, that I wanted to win paintball so my son would be, would be proud of me. And so we, we're paired off with like seven on seven, and we're in the mountains, and um, we're, called, we're playing a game called Team Deathmatch right? And so team death matches, if you get hit, you're out, and last person standing wins. So it comes down, and the guy kind of has this bullhorn kind of deal, and he says, my team, we were the blue team, I think, two players remaining. Now, I'm still remaining, but the main reason I'm still remaining is, is I had been just about as close to being out of bounds as you can be with, with still being in the game. So I kind of hunkered at the back, and then people are just mowing each other down, and I'm still standing. And there's one other person from the other team now, we can just wait them out, and the timer would go off, and we would win because we're at a two-to-one advantage. But again, I want my son to be proud of me. So I said, I'm, what I'm going to do is this one other person in the other team, he's hunkered down in, um, uh, we'll just use the pulpit kind of deal. He's kind of hunkered down behind the thing. And I said, we're not letting this happen. I'm going to charge him, and I'm going to take him out. And so I go down the dip, and we kind of charge him up and sneak it up on him. And... Uh, uh, I'm standing there trying to get a trying to zero in when it honestly felt like someone had taken a two by four and smacked me right on the head. I was, honestly, I was kind of stunned. I probably should have gone into like concussion protocol at that moment, <laughs> but the timer's still going on. But I've been hit, and they told told us if you're ever hit, you have to put your hands up. So I'm kind of dazed, and I've got my hands up, and and the, and no one's more surprised than the person on the other team. He's like, I didn't even know I fired. I hit him. How did I hit him? So it takes me a few moments to put everything together that I'd, I'd actually been hit by the other guy on my team. <laughs> Friendly fire. He didn't charge. I charged, and he shot, and he hit me and stunned me. And uh, this doesn't come as some unexpected turn of events to Jesus that Judas is going to betray him. In fact, I think the reason he says it is so the disciples will know that Jesus is not. Jesus is not the victim of circumstances when he goes to the cross. What the scriptures make abundantly clear is he is in control of everything that's going on. He is not sort of at the whims of, now Judas is plotting and Judas is scheming and Judas is, but but that's all underneath the overarching sovereignty that these things have been prophesied well in advance of this happening. But there comes a moment when it has to be evident that Judas doesn't belong with the rest of these men. In fact, if, if you've got a red letter edition of your Bible, you can see after this, for the most part, the next several chapters, as we'll do on Monday and Tuesday, night, are, are in red. And, and part of that means that what Jesus is about to say isn't for Judas, because Judas isn't really a follower. For, for, for example, Jesus would not tell Judas, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, Judas's heart should be troubled. Judas is not needing to hear, I'm going to send you the comforter. Well, no, I'll give a couple of helpful for my life lessons from this passage and the first one that I'd give you is this. Our real identity and spiritual state is known by Jesus. The old saying is, you, um, hopefully I can get this right. You can fool some of the people all the time or all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Was that right? 
But you can't fool Jesus any of the time. He knows tonight the condition of your soul. And I say that as a warning, but I also say that as a comfort. He really knows you. Since the fall, you know what we've been doing? We have been covering up every single way we know to cover up. We talk in this generation a lot about transparency and wanting to be honest with each other, but, but I'm not sure we really mean that. There's kind of three identities we all live with, what other people think about us, what we think about ourselves, but then most importantly is what Jesus really knows about us. Did you know that you could be self-deceived about who you are? The heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. Your heart lies to you about you. That's why what we're doing tonight is so important. We need something outside of ourselves to inform us about ourselves. And that is one of the glorious purposes of Scripture. Well, when uh, Jesus says, one of you will betray me, again, they're uncertain. They don't quite know it. I love what Peter does. It reminds me of my own children. You know, there's always a designated asker. You know, in our house, it's usually the baby. You know, uh, because they think dad will, if he's going to say yes, you know, let's send dad in and see if we can watch TV or see if we can go eat pizza or see if we can, and, and, and uh, their, their strategy is he'll probably say yes to the baby. And guess what? Yeah, they're, they're right, actually. So we'll just, <laughs> so Peter's already been corrected a little bit. <laughs> so he kind of motions, oh, let's get the, let's get the disciple Jesus loves. John, let's get him to ask. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table, this is verse 23, close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom was he speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, apparently, uh, speaking in such a way that only John really, really heard this part, it is, to, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. And again, John's not like, oh, I knew, I knew it. The son of Simon Iscariot. A, a smarter person than me would know this, but, but in this passage, and, and Dan already read this, and then here, when we talks about Judas, there's multiple references that he's somebody's son. He's got a dad. It's a sobering for me as a dad that this, this is what you would not want to be true of your children. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. No, no one at the table knew why he said this to them. They're, they're clueless about a lot of things, right? Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Well, first of all, again, to see that our real identity, who we really are, and what our real spiritual state is, is known by Jesus. And friends, it is more important what Jesus says about us in his word than what it is we say about ourselves. Nobody, again, immediately said, well, it's obviously Judas. Wasn't one of them was like at the table and kind of coughed, hey, Judas. No, none of them suspected Judas any more than they suspected Matthew or, or Andrew. Up to this point, the disciples couldn't really see much of a, of a difference. 
And Judas is a man of significant status, one of the disciples of Jesus. So, so can we just receive a warning together tonight? You can be a faithful church attender. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a deacon, an elder, but not really love Jesus. You can regularly listen to clear, faithful teaching. I mean, who has ever had the opportunity that Judas had? He heard Jesus' warnings. He heard Jesus' parables of the unjust steward. He heard the parable of the wedding garment. He heard Jesus' warning about the love of money and against greed and against pride. Judas is the consummate example of the one who hears the word but does not do the word. Judas had heard with his own ears. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. You're able to receive this warning. We're in John 13. We'll just flip a page back. We'll get a little insight into the condition of Judas's soul. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, six days before the Passover, right? So just six days before what we're reading now, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Another miraculous thing that Judas had seen, right? So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas... Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. So one, our real identity and spiritual state is known by Jesus. And second, I just give you a sober warning that secret sin never stays secret. And properly understood, secret sin's never secret. There's nothing hidden from the eyes of the, of the Lord. I had the great privilege of um, growing up with uh, Steve Lewis as, as my pastor, and he, he told a story that um, was about a, a bandit in the old Southwest days who had gone um, and robbed several banks and accumulated quite a treasure. Uh, and so the Texas Rangers were after the bandit, and among the Texas Rangers was a translator. And over the course of uh, uh, arduous attempts, they finally cornered the bandit in this southwest Texas city. And uh, the bandit had nowhere to run, nowhere to go. And the rangers began to question him, saying, we found you. We know it's you. Tell us where the treasure is. And so the bandit began to respond in Spanish and was saying, if you leave the city, go three miles, you'll find a cave located right off the path. If you go in the cave and take a right, there you'll find the treasure. So the rangers looked at the translator and said, what did he say? And the translator says, he says, I'm a brave man and quite prepared to die. (laughs) 
Now, that's humorous about a, a love of money. But the love of money is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And, and you notice how, notice how easy it's become for Judas. This is a problem of how susceptible we can be about our own selves. How, how easy. He's couched it in spiritual terms. Oh, we could have 300 denarii. That's 300 days wages. I mean, that's a, a large amount of money. We could have taken that and we could have served the poor, but that's not what he really meant. So he begins to say things and couches them in spiritual terms. And can we be honest? We, we can get pretty good at this. We begin to talk about things in a way that aren't actually true in our life. Why, why was he upset? He's really upset that we could have taken this money in and I could have helped myself to some of it. It must have been very frustrating for Judas to be a lover of money and be the treasurer of the ministry of Jesus. Can you imagine the rich young ruler? Judas must have been saying, oh man, we are about to take off here. And then Jesus says, sell everything. It was a frustrating job to be the treasurer of ministry that keep telling people to give all their money away, Right? Or how about when Nicodemus comes? I mean, here's somebody of influence. I really use him. Well, Judas has succumbed to the age-old mistake of getting the two first commands of Jesus out of order or disordered. Very first command of Jesus in the Bible, and this is important because our Lord told us to teach everyone what he's commanded us, right? So the first command of Jesus is repent. The second is follow me. And you can see Judas is attempting to follow without ever in his own life having repented. And it's a significant warning because Jesus says on the day of judgment, this will prove that this has happened a lot. On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, Judas had never really repented, and Judas was still in control of Judas, or so he thought. So, so one, Jesus really knows our true spiritual condition. Secret sin never really stays secret. And a third uh, helpful principle, I think, from these matters is what, who and what we love ultimately drives our decisions and our actions. It's, it's right here that... Jesus sort of orchestrates that it's, it's kind of time for Judas to go. And it's as soon as Judas leaves that Jesus begins to talk about his own glory and loving other people. Notice specific. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. It's good news for us. That in spite of what Judas had planned, God's still going to be glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while and I'm with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so I now also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, the 
fourth and what will be my final point is fairly obvious and we'll take it straight here. The defining mark of a true disciple is Christ-like love for others. It's already been faithfully taught tonight, so I won't go into great detail. Uh, as I have loved you, I, I think he's, he's pointing back to many things, but no doubt pointing back to what he's just done in washing their feet. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So the, the marker of uh, authentic faith in Jesus, again, is, is uh, uh, Judas could do a lot of the things that we esteem as markers of discipleship. But here are some things that Judas never did. And at the top of the list is apparently really loving other people. Judas manipulated other people. Judas criticized other people. Judas used other people. Judas did not love the Lord or others. Well, first of all, just, or, or just under this heading of Christ-like love, just give a couple of brief Encouragements about what Christ-like love is, is first, it is selfless. We've already heard tonight, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and what he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Um, I, I, I wonder if it ever entered any of the disciples' mind that they should have washed the feet, right? I mean, it was a common thing to do, and usually there was a very humble servant in a place like this that would have done this job. In fact, the lowest of the servants. For obvious reasons, as we've already talked about tonight, nobody wanted this job. And then Jesus rises from the table. Who at your church does the job that nobody else really wants to do? At your church, who changes the diapers and takes out the garbage and shows up early and sets things up and stays late to, to clean up? Who visits the shut-ins and stays in late at the hospital? Who drives the elderly to their doctor appointments? Who takes and makes a meal and delivers it for the new mom? Who goes out of their way to learn the name and welcome and follow up with the first-time visitor? Now, you're probably thinking of people, aren't you? Faces popped into your mind. The answer is those who love like Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, made himself of no reputation. It's a beautiful um, contrast between Adam in the garden and Christ at this table, right? Adam aspired to be God, to be God and replace God, and, and, and Jesus, who really is God, became a humble servant. So, so Christ-like love is sacrificial, and Christ-like love is enduring. I, I love uh, this verse here that we started with. It says, now before, verse 1, chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, I'm so thankful it doesn't say, he tolerated them to the end. He put up with them to the end. Now he loved them to the end. Christ-like love endures. It endures. Friends, Jesus' love for you is going to last. He didn't used to love you more. He won't love you more at some point in the future. He's demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and then, Christ-like love always points people to the cross. 
Again, as it's already been proclaimed tonight, the water in the basin and the towel could only clean so deep. We need cleansing that goes deeper than, than that. And, and the washing of the feet points to the cross. And friends, if I put it to you this way, until you've pointed other people to the cross, you've not yet loved them. Christ-like love always points people to the cross where the reality of love and God's love for it is most clearly demonstrated. God demonstrates His love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, He died for us when we did not deserve it, knowing that we could not repay it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, uh, most of life for us doesn't work like this. I just think, think for example, if you're going to apply for a job, right? If you're going to get an uh, application, right? They're usually going to ask for some things. Anybody in here recently applied for a job? First job I ever applied to was um, a couple of restaurants. My strategy as a teenager was just get jobs at places I like to eat. And so I, I worked at a couple of places that I like to eat. And I remember sitting down at my first um, first application and it said on there uh, what strengths can you bring to this job and I just had to sleep on it I was like I don't I don't really know what I bring to this job I mean my strength is I like eating at your establishment is that is that a strength or is that a weakness I don't I don't really know um, and, and then it gives and then it gives a space for work experience this is my first job I mean, can you just turn an application in that's blank? Does that, does that work? Like, my name, here's my name. Here's my phone number. I've got, I've got nothing to, to offer you. And we're not used to, you're not used to this, but this is actually how salvation works. Got no strengths to bring. Got, got nothing. I, 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 how, about your, how about your work experience? Got nothing. But I'll tell you what we do have. Most applications also have a little section that says references, right? So, so reference is, I don't have experience. <laughs> I don't have any strengths to bring. But I know somebody. I know Jesus. And, and, and more importantly than that, he knows me. He called me by name. He's redeemed me. He saved me. He loved me when I was a sinner. It's the distinguishing mark of a disciple that the way that shows up that, that you know the love of Christ for you, and Jesus says it by this. So let's throw out all the other standards we, we bring to the table or we want to add to this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And doesn't Paul echo this so beautifully? It doesn't matter if I'm so eloquent and preach the greatest sermons and do the greatest things. If I don't have love, then I'm just a clanging symbol. As he's loved us, so we are to love one another. Hey, let's do this tonight. Why don't we stand together and we're going to pray as we wrap up the first night here together. We'll be right back here tomorrow night at 6.30 and to continue to study through this remarkable passage of Scripture. When I was studying, and I don't quite know how this happened. I don't know the, how Spotify really works. 
But, I, but you know, you can make a playlist, and then after the playlist, it just starts playing other songs. And I don't really know how this song came on, but I'd play, I, you know, they usually have something to do with it. A country music song came on, and please don't hold this against me. I, 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 I don't listen to country music, so. But it was this Tim McGraw song, I think, and it, it talked about live like you were dying, right? I don't, it's the first time I ever heard this song. And he starts to sing about all these things that his friend started doing when he thought he was going to die. And it was skydiving. Some of you come up here and sing it probably. And some, about, some about like riding on a bull or something, which wouldn't be on my list, to just be honest. But. but we're studying what Jesus did when he knew. And he didn't go skydiving. So I'm going to get with these 12 men in this room. I'm going to teach them these things. And one of the things he taught us was not everybody who says they're a disciple is a disciple. Would you pray with me? It's more important what God says about us in his word than what we say about ourselves. Father, this is sober. Your word even says that Jesus about these things was troubled in his spirit. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him. We know you're sovereign over all these things. Prophets had proclaimed these things were going to happen. Thank you that Jesus is in control. We need the warning in advance. Because Jesus proclaimed many will say on that day. Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? God, I pray for every person that's in this room. What they cling to most is not a mighty work they have done for you, but the mighty work you have done for us. God, we understand our resume is, well, it's worse than blank. <laughs> it, but I thank you for Jesus intervening with amazing grace. Thank you for the things we've been able to sing tonight. Your glorious God, and I pray that you would use these days to um, encourage us in our lives where we need to be encouraged and confront us if there are things about our lives that need to be confronted by your word. And I pray if there is anyone that's present tonight, and maybe in their own sphere, they have a position of some sort of spiritual leadership but they're actually lost that your word would be life giving and life saving for them tonight i pray they would really know the love of jesus i pray for our churches Thank you that we can be together and we can be like-minded. And I do pray that it is evident in Rocky Mount that there are followers of Jesus Christ, that there are real, authentic, sincere, devoted disciples of Jesus. And people will know that because of how we love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.